I want you to be turning today to uh, the book of Acts and chapter 51 through 60. We're going to look at a passage of Scripture here uh, and look at it today in such a way when we talk about the, the stoning, the martyrdom of Stephen, and thinking about this as it relates to our life in this way. When God has another plan. When God has another plan. If you'll stand, please, as we read uh, verses 51 through 60, Acts chapter 7, as we honor God's Word. And there, of course, you're aware of the fact that Stephen is, uh, is, is preaching. He is uh, absolutely laying it to him at this time. And uh, so in verse 51, as he begins to, to bring it home, uh, he says in verse 61, "...you stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears." You always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the, the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who foretold the coming of the just one, of whom you now have become the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the direction of angels and have not kept it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed at him with their teeth. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into the heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God and said, Look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And then they cried with a loud voice, stopped their ears, ran at him with one accord, and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. And they stoned Stephen as he was calling on God, saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And then he knelt down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the power found therein. Thank you for every person here today. And Lord, I believe that you have a way of meshing your word into the hearts individually today to remind us of the great truths of your word, to remind us of the great truths of your will, to remind us of the great truths of your ways. Father, would you speak to our hearts and convince us this day in Jesus' name. Amen. Jim Elliott is perhaps one of the best-known modern, modern martyrs that we have of the faith. Back in 1948, Jim Elliott went to the Aka Indians and he, he wrote some things in his journal, which I am profoundly thankful for. This is what he said, which seemed to be prophetic. He said this, I seek not a long life, but a full one like you, Lord Jesus. Two years later, he wrote in his journal, I must not think it strange if God takes in youth those whom I would have kept on earth till they were older. God is peopling eternity, and I must not restrict him to old men and women. Like Stephen, Jim Elliott and his four comrades were martyred on January the 8th, 1956, to this peopled eternity as they were slain by the very people that they were attempting to reach. So we think of that, we think of his life. And we think of what he gave and how he was willing to give up his life. And, of course, he is probably best known for his statement, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep in order to gain that which he cannot lose. 
Is it a surprise to you that more Christians have been martyred in the 20th century than all the centuries since Christ combined? We don't hear a lot about them, and especially in the ethnic cleansing in uh, Iran, Iraq, Syria, uh, the different places where Christians are. We normally think of those as Muslim hotbeds, and the only thing they're putting forth are terrorists. But the truth is there are many Christians, nation, or cities that actually, absolutely have been wiped out. So when things like this happen in life, whenever God seems to take a different turn, whenever things do not work out like we thought they would, we, we love to put down our plans. I'm going to do this. I'm going to Fruitland. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. After this many years, I'm going to do this. Nothing wrong with planning, but where's God in the picture of this? We always ought to be open to the working of the Holy Spirit. And for any of us today, it may not be a long life, but will it be a full life? I made that statement. I, my dad died uh, uh, four years earlier uh, than I am of age right now. And so quite young, we would say, and I realize that after uh, four and a half years ago and being in intensive care with the brain abscess and on the ventilator and all that, that I'm kind of on borrowed time anyway. Uh, but what we don't recognize, we think we're just going to grow old. But if God takes me today, uh, he absolutely owes me no apology because he has granted a full life. The things he has allowed me to see and do and be a part of and mission trips and endeavors, and, uh, and, and I am just so blessed. The family that he has blessed me with, a wonderful wife all these years, uh, almost 42 next month, uh, God is good to us. And uh, our three sons and uh, daughter-in-laws and, and uh, five grandchildren, a sixth one on the way, we are, we are blessed people. But sometimes in life, God seems to take a different turn, a turn that we don't understand, like why did Jim Elliott not get to continue on? Uh, why did Pete Maravich, one of the greatest scorers always, still the greatest uh, record holder in some college basketball circles, why after finally seeking Eastern religions and everything else, he came to know Christ and on the day that he was to tape with Dr. James Dobson on Focus on the Family, playing at uh, Dr. Dobson's gym in the middle of a water break, went to get water and, they, and, and uh, Dr. Dobson asked him, how are you doing? He says, I'm doing great. Bam, dropped dead into eternity at that moment. He would ask the question, why? After only five years of being able to share his faith and, and was doing a great job and getting ready to do the interview, and why, after only five years, why was he cut short seemingly by our standards? Well, I think the principles of God's Word, the principles in the life of Stephen here and others that we can apply to God's Word has to be applied to our life just as well when we think of this, and there's three things I want us to consider today when God takes an, uh, has another plan for our life and he seems to take a different turn. What can we do? Well, there are three things we can do. First of all, we are to trust his sufficient word. Trust his sufficient word. Now, in verses 50 through 53, absolutely, Stephen is shucking the corn, as we would say. 
He is laying the Word of God out there, and he is not holding back. He's one of those first seven men chosen by the church to be a deacon. He has been a leader. He's been an evangelist. He is sharing the faith, not backing up. And as we find him here, he uh, seems to be, according to the religious leaders, speaking blasphemous statements. But in fact, he is taking them back to the Word of God, saying, listen, I'm being consistent with what the Word of God has to say. And so when we look and, and, and they, they ask him the question back at the start of this chapter in verse number one, are these things so? Uh, as, as they began to look at this and to ask that question, he says, well, let's look at the scriptures and see what they have to say here. Think about Stephen as he was ready to defend the faith with the word of God. At times in our life when God seems to have another plan for us, we have to trust the sufficiency of the Word of God. What it speaks to us, it is true yesterday, today, and forever. It will always be true, and we're to stand upon those particular principles here. This has become known as the longest sermon here in the book of Acts, so that here that took place on the, uh, the, the, uh, the, the Pentecostal sermon that was taking place as Peter preached on the day of Pentecost, longer than that, as, as he's preaching the word and he's, he's trusting the scriptures, he's taking them back to, to Abraham and he's taking them back to Joseph and Moses and Joshua and David, Solomon, he's bringing them up to date. Uh, they had twisted some of the facts and the arguments they had against him. He wasn't refuting scripture. He wasn't speaking something new. He was, he was taking the scriptures and saying, these are the very things we all have believed and that we have all taken to be very true. And, and they charged him with, with uh, having national sins and, and doing things that, uh, that were uh, contrary to their beliefs, but he stayed true to the world, word of God. I look in verse 51 there, and when he starts calling them stiff-necked and uncircumcised of heart and years, that is not a Sunday morning service or sermon. It is not a Sunday night, and it's not a Wednesday night sermon that we need to preach. He never took the Dale Carnegie course on how to win friends and influence people. He just uh, delivered the word of God, but he never backed up. Now, I'm going to try to give you a little advice because I think I need to apply this differently than when I applied it on a Sunday morning, but it yet is the same truth, and that is there's a difference in what the Word of God says and what your preference may be. We can get ourselves in a lot of trouble, and we can call it persecution, and we can call it tribulation, but if it's not based on the Word of God and it's just what we think and something that we've come up with, an idea that nobody else goes along with, it may not have been of the Holy Spirit to start with. And if it's not based upon the Word of God, then we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble. But Stephen boldly and courageously and fearlessly preached, and they just denied the very scriptures that they said that they believed in. But that's nothing new for those who hold the Word of God. That's why John the Baptist called them a generation of vipers. Jesus called the various Pharisees that he preached to you're, you're like whitened tombs. You, you, you're great on the outside, you look great, but on the inside it's just dead men's bones. So when he says you stiff-necked, uncircumcised of heart, he knew that, uh, and you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did. They, they persecuted all the prophets as a matter of fact here. And they killed those of whom is the Lord Jesus who you have killed. He brought it up to date. So he was consistent, and he stood upon the word of God. 
The Word of God is practical in every application of life. We, don't, we never have to worry about the Word of God not being applicable. We never have to worry about it being relevant. Those people who have to put relevant in the name of their church, we're a relevant Baptist church. Why do you have to identify that? The Word of God's always been relevant. It speaks to every situation of heart. And so when sometimes things aren't going like you may think they ought to go, Trust the sufficiency of God's word. It's got a word for you there. Stephen knew what Richard Baxter had said. I preach this day, as he did, I preach as a dying man to dying men and women as if I'll never preach again. Anytime we deliver the word of God, we never know if that may be the last time that we ever deliver a message or not. But Stephen had masterfully proved the, 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 the uh, he's a student of scriptures and he had taken the word of God and he had neatly woven it to where he was at this point culminating in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he was doing exactly what Jude said that, that we should do. And that is to earnestly contend for the faith. Do what the word of God says, stand upon it and let the chips fall where they will. He was doing what Peter said, to always be ready to, de, to give a defense of the gospel to everyone and give them the reason of hope that's within you. Why? Because there was apostasy. We, we're in a day of apostasy today when people fall away from the church. We can take it personally when they may leave your church, they may leave the word, but guess what? They, they may just be on their way hopping from one pasture to the next because sheep will do that. They just jump over this fence to another fence to another fence and along the way. But if you stay in the word of God, stay true to it, God is going to bless you. The fact is that uh, what he did, he did alone. He didn't stop speaking the truth. He did what was necessary. And, and what we don't realize here in America is that we're coming to a day that doesn't want the truth anymore. We've never had to face real persecution. If I ask any of you today if you've faced real persecution, you would probably say no. One of the closest times, I guess, was in, uh, in uh, South Africa on one of our mission trips, and we're walking down a railroad track, and we're handing out tracks, and little, they had little, the kids had cassette players. We're handing out things for them in, in uh, Bengali language, and, and, uh, and an imam comes up, and he's dressed in his fundamental white clothes and hat, and his beard's red. He's been on the Hajj, the trip to Mecca, and... Uh, and he says to us, you must leave or you will die. That'll get your attention. Uh, but you know what? That's probably the closest I've been. A few deacons meetings, I guess. But I've been in, uh, you know, we don't get real persecution in this day and time. But I'm telling you, we are coming to the point. We're almost like frogs in the water. It's heating up here in America. Thankfully, whether you agree with things or not, uh, that, that takes place in Washington and sometimes from our president, he is making a stand for religious freedom. And he's given us some, some reason to have hope as we look forward and to stand on that, but it may not always be the case. As a matter of fact, your people will want you to continue to water down the word. Well, we're in a different day, and you can change this, and it doesn't mean that anymore, and all those kinds of things. It was Andrew Brunson coming back here to America after being in a prison in Turkey who made this statement. And when he made this statement, he is saying this. He said, I think that persecution is coming to America. He said, I was isolated for a few years, but coming back to the States was almost like coming back to a different country in many ways. 
And I'm astounded at the speed with which I think the U.S. is imploding. There are any number of issues where it seems that no longer it's no longer for enough for a person of faith to get along with or to serve or to treat well someone they disagree with. I think that the, the political business, media, celebrity class, and all the academia, it seems that there's much more of a demand that people approve of that they validate, that they celebrate things that they actually disagree with. I think what he had to say there is uh, basically we could face persecution, laws that would try to make us try to change the Word of God, not stand upon it, but thank God for bakers and florists and preachers and others who have said My, the Word of God means more to me than uh, anything else, that Hobby Lobby has a way of standing upon the Word of God, and we appreciate that. So when God takes a different plan, it looks like it may cost him his life, he, Stephen, trusts the sufficiency of the Word of God, the sufficient Word. There's a second thing we find here, and that is when God takes and has a different plan, you can trust not only His sufficient Word, but you can trust His sovereign will. In verses 51 through 57, we find that response of the crowd is not really what Stephen was looking for. However, he trusted the Word of God. There'll be times in life where you'll have nothing else to stand on but the Word of God. There'll be times where you have nothing else really to stand upon except the call of God in your life which called, he called you in the first place and you're going to have to come back to that because it may seem that everything else may be going against you. On the day of Pentecost, they were cut to the heart and they cried, what must we do? On the day here that Stephen preaches, a couple of chapters later, we find that uh, they're ready to stone him. They were furious with him. Had Gamaliel not been present in Acts chapter 5 with uh, Peter, uh, they would have stoned him. They would have killed him on that particular day. But here they're weeping. They're wedding, what you know, and, 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 uh, and, and really coming against him with the, uh, just a demonic type of atmosphere. John MacArthur says, The suffering of hell, we never thought of this in this way, the suffering of hell will include the endless anger and frustration of those people who will forever feel both, in, both intense conviction for the damning sin as well as anger toward God. People who reject God's grace and love will not feel remorse under his judgment. In fact, it will only make them angrier. Have you ever lived in a more angry day than today? People get angry at anything. You know, there was a time where you may warn somebody they're drifting over in your lane and you go, beep, beep. Now it is, if you go beep, beep, they may go bang, bang. I mean, you know, people will get out and fight and shoot and everything at a heartbeat. People just get, it's just an angry day where people can be at each other's throat in every particular way. But he knew he was doing God's will because verse 55 says, but he being full of the Holy Spirit simply kept doing what he was doing, preaching the word. He gazed into heaven and he saw the glory of God and said, look, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing there. Here's a great word. Stephen didn't have to make adjustments when he was trusting God's sovereign will. He didn't have to make any adjustments in his life and say, well, I could have done this bit different. I could have said this different. He just knew that he was going through and he was experiencing what he knew that he was going to have to go through in this life. He knew he had faithfully lived a life above reproach. He had delivered the word of God, charged by God. So even if it meant death for him, he was willing to face that. 
There'll come those times in life where it may be like a line in the sand and you have to step over by faith, have to keep going because you know it's the right thing to do. And it's never been clearer than what you're going to face. And some of you who are just coming into ministry, I can tell you some of those who have been in ministry a number of years who sit in this room today can tell you over the last 20 years, ministry has changed in a great and dynamic way. In a, in a negative way, I'd say, but it's very noticeable. And for some of us who go back further than that, uh, 30 and even 40 years, as this fall will be 40 years in full-time ministry for me, I can tell you that the church has changed, the people have changed, the atmosphere has changed. We're in a different day, not based upon a Judeo-Christian atmosphere here in America where you just assume people knew things. It's totally different. And you will face challenges that we have never faced. But guess what? You trust in the sufficiency of God's word. You trust in the sovereignty of God's will for your life because he knows exactly what you're going through and he is there to go through it with you at that particular time. And so Peter had said, listen, if you're reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you for the spirit of glory and of God rest upon you. Jesus said when you're, you're persecuted for righteousness sake that you're blessed. And that's, it's not very blessed to go through those times. It's not blessed to go through some of those experiences, but if it's for righteousness' sake, not because of your sake, not because of your preference, not because you chose to do something and got out on a limb where there was no more rope, but when you do it for righteousness' sake, it's what he's saying here. But I want you to notice this. Kind of hidden there is the fact that he looked up into heaven and he saw Jesus standing. That's quite a statement because... Hebrews 12.2 reminds us that when he went to heaven, he is today set down at the right hand of the Father. There's a difference there in standing and in sitting. There's a difference in a completed work that took place at the time of, uh, of, the, of the cross and what he had accomplished in ascending back to the Father, set down at the right hand of the Father. It is finished. Well done, good and faithful servant. And now... Jesus has gotten up and he's standing there, I believe, with arms wide open and he is doing it almost in, in a sense of applause for who, what Stephen has done. Listen, whenever things get going against you and it seems to be a different plan, you understand if, if you're true to the word of God and you're walking in the will of God, then you can know that God will always be there to say, well done, good and faithful servant. He will assure you of that and you're going to need that at times in your life that you're doing the best thing and you're doing the right thing. Stephen will become the first martyr here of the church in this particular setting here and it's as if Jesus was saying, well done, Stephen. Well, look at the fulfillment of this perfect plan. He lost his life. But yet his life was not over with. He lost his physical life. Verse 57, they screamed, stopped their ears, ran at him, dragging Stephen out of the city, and they stoned him. What do we learn in that? You say, well, he, he got killed. He got killed prematurely in life. Prematurely according to who? According to our plan, according to his plan, according to what he thought it would be. You don't know what God has in store for you. That's the greatest thing in the world. He never reveals his blueprint to our life. But you just follow him daily and he will weave and work some things that are remarkable. I see one more thing. Whenever life seems to take a different turn, not only do you trust in his sufficient word, 
You trust in his sovereign will that he's going to accomplish his purposes. You say, well, they got killed. Where was God? People ask that question. Where was God ever from Columbine? Where was God on 9-11? They ask those questions right there. Listen, God's the same place he's always been. He's over everything. But sometimes he will allow things to take place for whatever his purpose and will are, and he never has to reveal to us. Don't you just love those blessed members who come up to you and say, when I get to heaven, God's going to have to explain to me. God doesn't have to explain anything to us. He doesn't have to tell us why we went through this, why he allowed this, why he did this at this particular time. You just trust him that it's going to work out for good because that's what he is up to, which brings us to the third point. What do you do? You trust his saving ways. Trust his saving ways here. Now, verses 57 through 60 tell us how this stoning took place, and they took him out and they began to stone him. According to Jewish law, they would take you to a precipice. They would cast you down at least 12 feet. Some people may be at the point of death at that point. If not, they took two big boulders, and then they would, would crash them down upon you. And if you survived that, they would stop long enough to give you a chance to repent and to go back on what you had said and what you had done. So they then, and then they would pick up rocks and begin to stone you to death completely. Well, it was at the pause here. They cast him down. The stones have been applied, the huge stones, that he looks back up, and this is what Stephen says, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. That sounds like somebody else who said something one day upon the cross. But he also said this. He said, Father, into your hands I commend my spirit. As Jesus said here, he's saying the same thing. But he also testifies to, to the deity here. Don't, don't, don't lay anything against them, Lord, and forgive them. It sounds like the heart of the Lord Jesus here. And he testifies to the deity of Christ because Jesus did the same thing. Then it says that he fell asleep. Now, that's not soul sleep for some of you who are wrestling theologically. Nobody's sleeping in a casket, sleeping during that particular time. But we recognize it's the position of the body. When you see somebody, you sometimes say it looks like they're just sleeping there. It's a way that we describe that. But it's a word picture of a peaceful rest in Christ. And they continue to stone him and the rocks and the pain and the dying, the death, which was then quickly over with, he Prayed that prayer, Lord, please don't lay this sin to their charge, just as his master Jesus had done. In the toughest times of life, we not only say what would Jesus have done, but because the Holy Spirit's within us, we are to do what Jesus did. And that's what he gives us the power to do. And it seemed as if Stephen had lost. It seems like Jesus had lost to the crowd. The demons are are rejoicing in the midst of this, but what may seem to be a loss, such a waste, we've got to remember the words of Joseph, what you meant for evil, God meant for good. We've got to trust his saving ways to know that the promise is there, that God will work all things together for good to those who love the Lord, who, those who are the called according to his purposes. We have that sustaining promise. We don't know how he's going to do it. It's not that it was good but he will work it for good. We've got to trust his saving ways. Job came out of his pain and loss of family and everything that he had, and he said, though he slave me, yet will I serve him. John the Baptist, even fewer days to live on earth than Jesus. 
was confident to go before the throne and, of course, killed with the sword. How does it work together for good? Well, sometimes in relating to others. Go back and look at verse 58. They laid down their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul. Why? 8.1 says the answer, gives us the answer to that. Now, Saul consenting to his death. They lay the cloaks at the feet of the one that's responsible here for the death of Stephen. Stephen was stoned, but I would agree with many theologians that that was the most indelible mark on the life of the Apostle Paul, as we would know him. I don't believe he ever got over the stoning of Stephen that he was responsible for taking out what could have been the greatest Christian of that time, that he was responsible. The early church father, Augustine, said, the church owes Paul to the prayer of Stephen. However hard he tried, Saul could never get it out of his mind. I believe when he laid down at night, he saw Stephen. I believe he saw them lay those cloaks at his feet, that he had taken this this soul that now, and I believe even in ministry, listen, you say, well, you ought to be able to forget that. You you don't forget things in life. There's some things you'll never forget because they were the hardest days of your life, the toughest things, but in the midst of that, God proves himself faithful. You remember the good things. You'll remember the home runs. You'll remember the baskets, the touchdowns, the things that you had in life that were positive days. We don't forget those things, but God will turn it and use it for good here. I believe God would ultimately use it bringing him down the Damascus road and seeing Saul of Tarsus literally become the Apostle Paul. And when the blood of your martyr Stephen was shed, I was also standing by consenting to his death. Paul would later say, guarding the clothes of those who were killing him. So God used that death to bring Saul Tarsus to a saving knowledge of Christ. I believe there were many who were saying, if there's anybody in this world who could never be saved, it's Saul Tarsus. Aren't you glad when God just proves the critics wrong? They can be the church critics as far as that goes. Those are the religious critics. God can prove them wrong. But just as Jesus' actions and words from the cross left an indelible mark upon the centurion who would say certainly this was a righteous man, the Son of God. It made an indelible mark upon Saul of Tarsus. You see, we need to trust his saving ways as it relates to others. We don't know how God's going to use even what we may be going through to touch somebody else's life, but there's a last thing, and that is how it relates to us. Because God's also doing a work within us. Just as Paul was moved through Stephen's death, your tough experiences can lead others to Christ. They may not look at you when you're going through the good times, but they're going to look at you when you're going through the tough times. Hold up Jesus. Hold him high. Someone who's never trusted Christ, I saw how they went through that tough time. I saw how God lifted them up, and I realized that I didn't have that in my life. So whenever we're crying and complaining and wondering why in the world did God have this kind of plan for my life, God may indeed use the roughest, toughest time in your life and my life for his honor and glory to bring somebody to a saving knowledge. He's also doing that work within us, and he stretches our faith. You see, we have to come to the point in time that we just trust 
God's sovereign, his, his sufficient word. We trust his sovereign will and we trust his saving ways that he's going to work things out. As that song says, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. So when you don't understand, when you can't see his plan, when you can't trace his hand, trust his heart. He knows what he's doing. And he, when he has another plan, you can be sure that it is a plan. And it's going to be a good plan in the end. I opened with, with talking about Jim Elliott. I'll close with the words of his widow many years later that you knew that just went to glory not too long ago, Elizabeth Elliott. She said this, when we think about how God could ever use the death of these men that day, how many times have you heard that example of Jim Elliott and those missionaries and how God has used it for his glory? Well, she said this, to the world at large, this was a sad waste of five young lives. But God has his plan and purpose in all things. There were those whose lives were changed by what happened on Palm Beach. In Brazil, a group of Indians as a mission station deep in the Mato Grosso, upon hearing the news, dropped to their knees and cried out to God for forgiveness of their own lack of concern for fellow Indians who did not know Jesus Christ. From Rome, an American official wrote to one of the widows, I knew your husband, and he was the he was to me the ideal of what a Christian should be. An Air Force major stationed in England with many hours of jet flying immediately began making plans to join Missionary Aviation Fellowship. A missionary in Africa wrote, Our work will never be the same. We knew two of the men. Their lives have left a mark on ours. Off the coast of Italy, an American naval officer was involved in an incident sea, and he floated alone on a raft, and he recalled Jim Elliott's words, which he had read in a news report. When it comes time to die, make sure that all you have to do is die. He prayed that he might be saved, knowing that he had more to do than die. He was not ready. God answered his prayer, and he was rescued. And in Des Moines, Iowa, an 18-year-old boy prayed for a week in his room and then announced to his parents, I'm turning my life over completely to the Lord. I want to try to take the place of one of these five. When we don't understand what God's doing and when he seems to have a different plan, you can trust his saving ways as it relates to others, as it relates to us. So when God takes a different turn and has a different plan in our life, listen, trust his word, trust his sovereign will, trust his saving ways, and he will lead you. He'll never let you down. Let me pray for you. Father, in Jesus' name, thank you for your word. Thank you for how you have given it to us as an example, Lord. And I pray you would encourage every person here today that even when we can't trace your hand, we don't understand your plan, we can trust your heart. Lord, I thank you that you are empowering many of these who've already fought through persecution even to, to be here, to get here, tribulation and persecution to stay here, Lord. And you've got a plan and purpose for their life. So, Lord, continue to encourage them. Help them to lean upon your word, your will, and your ways. Father, empower them. Make possible what you have called them to do. Bless every life, every heart. In Jesus' name.